This is Max Hedrum. Hello? Anybody home? Hey! Our generation may not remember the moon landing, but we remember moon boots. If you owe a few cavities to candy cigarettes, learned your adverbs from schoolhouse rocks, burned your shins on a hot middle slide with sharp edges, exploding pop rocks for science, and you still want your MTV, then this podcast is for you. Dancing with Myself is dedicated to the decade of excess, the 1980s. So pull up your leg warmers and let's get physical. Well, hey, dudes and dudettes. I'm Heather. And like, if you can't tell already, I'm obsessed with the 1980s. We're the generation who grew up imitating the slow-mo bionic running sound of the $6 million man. We watched five channels, shopped at the mall, and didn't consider the mystery date board game sexist. Now, these things just didn't dramatically vanish in a flurry. Childhoods don't end that way. The little things slip away sometimes without warning. Some vanished like freckles cereal or faded from the spotlight like hairbands. It's not really the things that we loved. It's our memories of those things and how they fit into our lives. As Ferris Bueller says, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. That's what I'm trying to do with this podcast. Stop, look around, Close your eyes and remember that first swatch watch or how you felt watching. You can't do that on television for the first time. I'm ready to flip up the collar of my polo shirt and dig in. I hope you're ready for a guided tour each week on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Back to the good old days when MTV played music videos and Mortimer and Randolph Duke were scheming. This is Dancing With Myself. Our very first episode, and I thought after school specials would be a great topic to cover. As preachy as Sunday school and as subtle as Gallagher, after school specials tackled these juicy social issues from divorce to date rape, all the things public schools in the 70s and 80s just couldn't talk about. So watching these movies was like peeking at those books your parents kept hidden high on a bedroom shelf. But because they were dubbed educational, we could all watch completely guilt-free. A Martian could figure out the plots from these titles. We're talking things like, Please Don't Hit Me, Mom, The Boy Who Drank Too Much, Andrea's Story, A Hitchhiking Tragedy. I mean, who wouldn't want to rush home after algebra class to tune in to these tawdry tales? They were like soap operas for teenagers. Hilariously, the scripts could have been written by a nun who didn't get out much. Every social issue was treated with the same amount of gravitas, be it shoplifting or Satanism. But the cast were like an all-star team of teen favorites. We had Dana Plato. We had Christy McNichol, who just couldn't get along with her stepdad. We had Rob Lowe. After-school specials were like the mall for kid actors. Eventually, you saw everyone there. Unfortunately, they seemed to be gone for good, and they were replaced by made-for-TV movies, Well, with some titles like Death of a Cheerleader, Too Young to Be a Dad, and Mother, May I Sleep with Danger? But you can relive the real thing by picking up the original after-school specials on DVD, complete with the school bus and Trapper Keeper-shaped boxes. So that's pretty exciting. Just as with real smokes, it wasn't the flavor that was addictive, 
Candy cigarettes tasted like chalk, but their gimmick was undeniable. Just as kids faced with a toy steering wheel couldn't resist violently jerking it from side to side while making vroom vroom noises, no kids with any stick-like food could resist slipping it between their lips and taking those soul-satisfying puffs. That's right, candy cigarettes were more than a toy, more than a candy. And what were toys for if not for preparing kids for adulthood with all of its vices and virtues? They say, smoke them if you got them. Hey, ask gas or grass, nobody rides for free. They're still going strong. And contrary to urban legend, they're not illegal in the United States. Although most brands have quietly renamed the treat candy sticks. Mmm, so check the low rent bottom shelves of your local gas station. Where's the thief? Remember the excitement you would feel when you knew you were going to go to Showbiz Pizza Place? Just try for a moment to remember that level of excitement and happiness that you would experience. It was almost too much, right? Like childhood nirvana. We would all go hang out with Billy Bob the Bear and eat, well, questionable pizza before playing a bunch of arcade games and running around like tiny tornadoes. It was an absolute heaven for kids because it was the only restaurant that could be loud and we could have fun without our parents yelling that we needed to settle down. You could watch the giant animatronic band perform their songs for you. You could eat way too much pizza and laugh the night away. One thing you probably never realized as a child is that there was a pretty stiff competition between Chuck E. Cheese and Showbiz Pizza. They were both popular restaurants that all kids frequented. But did you realize there was the secret betrayal behind the scenes? I'm gonna say probably not. So Chuck E. Cheese and Showbiz Pizza. Let's get into this Showbiz Showdown. Chuck E. Cheese was actually around first. It opened in 1977, but it was only three years later that Showbiz Pizza showed up. However, the process of opening it ended up kind of creating a problem. So here's how it all started. Nolan Bushnell opened Chuck E. Cheese with the iconic robotic rat. He was actually the founder of Atari and invented the game Pong. So he was looking for a way to expand his arcade empire. Like he totally had this idea. He was going to open a restaurant, a place where parents could bring their kids. They would need to have some kind of free entertainment, you know? You couldn't get people to go pay for games if that was the only thing offered, or at least that's what they thought at the time. Ha ha ha, little did they know. So that is when they developed the animatronic bands. Now, Chuck E. Cheese, Jasper Jowls, Krusty, the Warblets, and Pasquale were known as the Pizza Time Players, and they all hung out and joked between songs on stage, trying to entertain both kids and parents. A potential investor named Bob Brock promised to support Bushnell's innovations. Bushnell tried to assure him that this animatronic thing was the best available. But then Brock met this inventor named Aaron Fetcher in 1979, and he realized there were better options. So instead of investing in Bushnell's Chuck E. Cheese, Brock decided he was going to venture out with his own restaurant, Showbiz Pizza, and he would have his own animatronic bands called Rock of Fire Explosion. Now, this band had seven main members, but there were also some background characters like 
Beach Bear, Mitzi Mozzarella, Duke LaRue, Looney Bird, Billy Bob Broccoli the Bear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And each restaurant had their fans. Apparently the jokes that the Rockafire explosion made were a little bit less kid-friendly than the Pizza Time players. But some people thought that Chuck E. Cheese actually had better pizza. But the problem was, even though kids loved it, they weren't the ones with the money. Chuck E. Cheese may have had better pizza, but they were kind of struggling. So in 1980, Bushnell started to have these financial problems. He sold his rights to his Atari system to Warner Communications, along with Chuck E. Cheese. But they weren't really interested in franchising Chuck E. Cheese. Now, eventually he did manage to buy back the rights and founded his own franchises. But things eventually would take a turn. By 1982, Bushnell had filed a lawsuit against Brock's Showbiz Pizza. And it took a long while, but finally a settlement was reached with Showbiz Pizza, paying a percentage of their profits to Chuck E. Cheese for 14 years. Now, Bushnell had a victory, but it didn't really last that long. When the video game market started to stutter in the 80s, he was hit pretty hard. He invested so much into Chuck E. Cheese and other ventures that he just couldn't survive. He finally filed for bankruptcy in 1984 after falling into <laughs> $22 million in debt. He had to declare bankruptcy. <laughs> bankruptcy. I will get that out. And that's when Chuck E. Cheese forced him out. And... Who was there to pick it all back up? Showbiz Pizza. They jumped on that faster than you can imagine. But instead of rebranding all of the Chuck E. Cheese locations into Showbiz Pizza, they let them keep their name. So even though they did outlast their competition, Showbiz Pizza was struggling and believed it was because of these animatronics. So the inventor of uh, Fetcher was too expensive and too involved, so they kind of started to phase him out. And so by the 90s, they got rid of him completely, and that's when he decided to take the Rock of Fire explosion with him. They were his creation, and even though they found success because of their connection to the restaurant, he believed they could be so much more. Well, sorry, sir. Showbiz Pizza had to alter all of their remaining robots so they wouldn't look like his inventions, and they were eventually combined with Chuck E. Cheese's robots. As of June 2020, there were 612 Chuck E. Cheese venues in 47 states, four in Canada, Guam, and Puerto Rico. Now, of course, COVID-19 put a significant financial strain on the company, and they filed a voluntary bankruptcy petition under Chapter 11 in June of 2020. Here's a fun fact for you. In July of 2012, the rat mascot was rebranded, and they decided to change up the voice. That is when they brought in Jarrett Reddick, the frontman and guitarist for the punk band Bowling for Soup. He now voices the rat. Thank you for checking out this Hella Rad podcast. Episodes drop every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday.